listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Thank you for joining us again for another episode of Let the Bible Speak. Today's broadcast is a communion address preached as we as a church remembered the Lord in his appointed way. We have been considering the Ten Commandments uh, in these addresses, and I trust that today's address will help you to see Christ again in all the scriptures. If you listen to the end of the program, you'll also uh, enjoy the ministry and song of Mr. Stephen Greer, uh, as he sings the song, How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds. May the Lord bless this program to your soul today. I'd ask you to please turn in your Bibles at this point to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. Turning to Ephesians chapter 4, we are in this series of Sabbath studies, uh, looking at the, uh, the Ten Commandments, the Law of God, but in particular reference to times around the table and thinking how the law of God will take us to Christ and take us uh, to take the table, to take the elements in a right and a worthy manner. And today we're on to the Eighth Commandment, uh, Thou shalt not steal. And with that in mind, let's read together from the verse number 17 of Ephesians chapter 4. And this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the light of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth to his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, and that he may have to give to him that needeth. Amen. May God be pleased to bless his word to your hearts today. When we come to consider the table and even make preparation for the table, there is a, a procedure, there's a pathway that is very helpful uh, just in our, uh, in our preparation personally. It is important that when you come to the table, you have within your mind a recognition of your sin. And you come realizing that afresh, remembering how far short you fall and come short of the glory of God's. And at the same time, as you prepare, you're coming, asking God to remind you of your sin, but also uh, to show you the Savior, that you would see Christ in the elements, that you take up Christ afresh by faith. And at the same point, as you then approach leaving the table, you have this renewal of your commitment to serve Christ out of love. And so the law of God, we've been studying it in uh, recent months, is a helpful, helpful aid as we would come to 
seek to walk through that procedure. It is, of course, through the law that we see our sin, and therefore we see our need of Christ. And it is in the law that we, we see our Savior from sin. And we see the one who came, born, made under the law. And, of course, we also see the standard of holiness, that if we are to love and to serve, we have the standard of that love given for us in the Ten Commandments, the moral law of God. And so this series of studies is, I believe, a very helpful exercise as we seek to mature in our ability to properly receive the elements in the Lord's table. And so in the Eighth Commandment, we have the language of the Shorter Catechism, what is required of the Eighth Commandment. Well, it requires the lawful procuring and furthering the wealth and outward estate of ourselves and others. And what is forbidden? Well, what is forbidden is whatsoever doth or may unjustly hinder our own or our neighbor's wealth or outward estates. In very simple terms, the Eighth Commandment forbiddeth us from taking that which is not not, not ours, or preventing others from gaining legitimate income. It's part of the positive and the negative of the Eighth Commandment. It speaks of the right to private property and the right for financial gain. This is undergirded in the very law of God. The Heidelberg Catechism puts it in a very helpful fashion. Question 110 of the Heidelberg Catechism says this, What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? It says this, God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, punishable by law, so that's the opening statement, obviously, thou shalt not steal, it forbids all outright theft and robbery. But it goes on to say this, but in God's sight, theft also includes all scheming, instead of cheating and swindling in order to get our neighbor's goods for ourselves, whether by force or means that appear legitimate, such as inaccurate measures of weight, size or volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God. And so they, they expand the concept of stealing. It's not simply going into someone's home, uh, looking at their television set, putting it under your arm and walking out. That, of course, is a violation of the Eighth Commandment, but it's a, it's a much broader concept than that, and there are so many ways. Sadly, in which this society is furthering itself by the violation of the Eighth Commandments. Every level of society, there are many here violating this principle. The Catechism goes on to say this. In addition, God forbids all greed. And I love this. And pointless squandering of his gifts. Wastefulness. Wastefulness of God's temporal gifts. Using his temporal gifts in ways that are not for his glory. And squandering our spiritual gifts. Those things that God has given to us. For his glory and the extension of his kingdom. It is a wasteful thing to hide your talent and not use it for the glory of God's. And so there is plenty of scope for us to recognize our guilt as sinners here before the law of God today. You add to that the thought of how we can rob God's. We say, how do we rob God? Well, Malachi 3, will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me, but you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes. And offerings. And so we can rob our fellow man and we can rob God by not giving those things to God that are rightfully His and His gifts toward us. And so we see our sin here. We understand, at least in part, the nature of what it is to be guilty of violating the Eighth Commandments. And uh, I say we are living a day when this is valid in a, in a very profound fashion. 
You think of the ungodliness of this present age, the verse number 19 of Ephesians chapter 4, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. There is such a desire for material and financial gain that they will go to any lengths, often violating the commandment to promote themselves and their sinful ways, wasting, squandering God's good gifts and not living for the glory of his name. For all have sinned, and that is true of ourselves here today. And so in light of such, we need a saviour. We need a saviour, we need Christ to be the one who will cover us and forgive us of our sins, of violating this, this commandment. And we have a very, a very vivid illustration of Christ's mercy to sinners. Who is the one that hears the words today, Thou shalt be with me in paradise? A violator of the eighth commandment is the one who hears the words of Christ's mercy, reminding us that those who break this commandment can enjoy and by God's grace, we'll enjoy the mercy of God. What a picture it is of the mercy of Christ. That as his blood is shed, it's shed for a robber. A violent robber, one who broke the eighth commandment. And Christ shed his blood for the salvation of that dear man. And so we have hope in this regard. But we understand as reformed believers that Christ as our Savior does not save us simply out of his mercy. He does not save us simply because of his blood, as precious as that is, but he saves us because of the totality of his righteousness, including his obedience to the law of God. That it was necessary for our Savior not only to die for our sins, but to live for us, and to live in perfect conformity to the law of God for us. And so, did Christ keep the eighth commandment? Well, he said, well, yes, he he did not steal. But we also understand that the law of God is not only negative in its application, but it's also positive. So what is the positive import of the Eighth Commandment? Well, we have it here in the verse number 28 of this portion of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4. Here's the positive. Let him that steals, steal no more, but rather let him labor. The opposite of theft is labor. It is work, positively working for the good of others. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, a thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. To properly obey the eighth commandment is that not only do we not steal, but we also work for the benefit of others. So how did Christ obey this? Well, let me highlight two ways in which I believe Christ obeyed the Eighth Commandment. First of all, I believe that Christ worked as a carpenter. I believe that he kept the Eighth Commandment by working as a carpenter's son. Now, that is by implication. He is known as the carpenter's son. We have that contained in the Word of God. And so there is the implication, like the culture of the time, that the Lord Jesus more than likely worked. Until the time he becomes, if you like, the public prophet. Up to that point, he's working alongside his father, or perhaps others, in the carpenter's shop. I think of the words of Luke chapter 2 and verse 52, that Christ grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And I have in my mind the, the thought of people, you know how some older folks like to talk about younger people? 
And I, I can imagine a, a scenario in, in Nazareth, and there's a, a conversation taking place. And they're saying, Joseph's son is a fine young man. He is so faithful and industrious in his work. He does his very best at every occasion. He, he, he never cuts a corner, if you like, in the work. His work is always done to such a standard. Uh, and we see him, we, we watch him in the shop, and we, we see one breaking his back and sweating for the work that he's doing. I don't believe that is a matter of simple conjecture. The Bible makes it clear that sloth and slugliness is sin. The Bible rebukes laziness. And if Christ did no sin, therefore he was never ever a lazy young man. He was always giving himself fully in the work that was given unto him. He was an industrious, diligent young man. And young men, praise God for that because your laziness can be covered by Christ's righteousness. That in the mercy of God, you you need not go to hell for your laziness. Though you have a mindset to do as little as possible, to really just do what you can to get by, praise God, that attitude can be covered by Christ's righteousness. Confess your sins. Seek the Savior. And get on your knees with the cross. Because Christ is the Savior from all sin. Including a bad attitude towards work. And so I believe Christ kept this commandment in His work as a carpenter. But I also believe he keeps the Eighth Commandment in his work as the Redeemer. That as a Redeemer, the work of redemption is wrought in the spirit of the Eighth Commandment. I want to show that to you in the time that means to us this morning. How Christ as our Redeemer works in a manner that is consistent with the spirit of the Eighth Commandment. First of all, Christ worked submissively. He worked submissively as a keeper of the Eighth Commandment. Go back to John chapter 4, please. John is the gospel writer that highlights this particular theme. I'm going to show you a few verses in John that highlights this, this, this matter of Christ working as our Redeemer. And using the term work in reference to his performance as a prophet, priest, and king. But in John chapter 4, in the verse number 34, you read these words, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. And it is that language of his work that I ask you to think about for a time at this point. That indicates that Christ, he is doing the work of another. In fact, in John 17 verse 4, it says, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. It shows us that Christ is working under authority. Now, we understand this in the mystery of the Trinity, that the Son of God, co-eternal and co-equal with the Father, takes upon himself the form of a servant and places himself voluntarily in a position of submission to the Father's will. And so he comes, I delight to do thy will, O my God. He comes to willingly live and obey under the authority of his heavenly Father. And to do the work that is given unto him. When you think of the realm of work, I think of Christ as one working under orders. It is, if you like, if I can use this analogy, and it's only an analogy. It is like in eternity, 
the father gives the son a contract. And the contract sets out the responsibilities and the duties of the Redeemer. And Christ, uh, just please, take this as an illustration. He takes that contract. He looks at it carefully. His heart loves the contract. He buys into the contract. And he gladly signs his name at the bottom of that contract. We often call it the covenant of redemption. That he agrees to come as the Savior. That work that is a contractual obligation. And he fulfills every single part of the contract. And so he's coming as one under authority. He is one who follows every direction. He is a submissive worker. In the second place, his work is wholehearted. He works wholeheartedly as our Redeemer. John chapter 4 again, the verse number 34. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Meat refers to that which sustains and satisfies His very life's breath has meaning and finds fulfillment in doing the work of redemption. He is wholehearted as our Redeemer. Look at John chapter 9. John 9 and verse number 4. Where the Lord says, I must work the works of him that has sent me while it is day. Here's the wholeheartedness of Christ in his work as our Redeemer. The compulsion that he feels, not only contractually, but within within his own sinless soul. He is driven, motivated in his inner man as a true sinless man to perfectly do the will of God. Here is one, if you like, who rises every day and says, I am going to serve wholeheartedly as Redeemer today. What a glorious thought it is. He fulfills in perfect fashion the words of Paul. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and unto men. Those words spoken in the context of employment. Christ says, Amen, I did that. I was indeed the perfectly wholehearted worker. He works submissively. He works wholeheartedly. And he works thoroughly. We've read the words of John 17 and the verse number 4 where it says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou givest me to do. Echoing again those words of John chapter 4 and the verse number 34 once more. To finish his work. He is far. It is not that he comes to the end of his ministry and there are things left undone. Every part of the contract is fulfilled. In his earthly work, now I understand he continues to make intercession for us, but as to his earthly ministry, everything is finished. Nothing left to be done. And done in such a way that the one who gave him the contract says, To his obedient servant's son, well done. That well done that is sealed in the resurrection. We see in risen Christ, the very words, if you like, the the words in picture form of the Father. Well done. You have indeed finished the work acceptably, perfectly, to my satisfaction. For by redemption is provided, eternal redemption. 
for all who come to trust in thee. His work is thorough. He works thoroughly. And finally, he works selflessly. I think of the language of Ephesians chapter 4 and what we see in terms of monetary form. So, again, we look at that verse in Ephesians chapter 4 and the verse number 28. Rather than stealing, you labor, and the purpose of your labor is to give to him that needeth. Biblical obedience to the Eighth Commandment is to labor in such a way that is for the benefit of others. Christ earned redemption that he might give redemption freely. Earned it completely. Worked it completely that he might give it to all of us without us paying any cost. Come ye without money. Come and buy without money or price. Come take. Take the gift that Christ has given as he has worked in such a selfless fashion. Now these are These are tremendously challenging principles for our workplace. That we would work submissively and wholeheartedly and thoroughly and selflessly. These are challenges to our secular, materialistic, capitalistic age. Oh, that God gives the mercy to properly obey the Eighth Commandment. And not to be conformed to this world. But at the same point, we do praise the work of Christ. And as we come to the table, we worship and we give thanks. We reflect afresh upon Christ's determination to save us. From eternity unto eternity loves his own. And he was determined to save us completely. And we see that step by step through his walk in this world. We see one who at every point of challenge keeps his contract. And works out our redemption. So that we would understand not fully yet one day more fully. But we understand at least in part the value of the gift that is given to us. It is a gift that is earned. It's a gift that's worked for. Worked for by Christ, earned by Christ. And because it is justly, righteously His, He has earned it. He has the right justly to give it freely. And what an offense it is to offer to pay for it. He's done all the work for us. Keeping the eighth commandment, the spirit of that commandment perfectly in his work as our redeemer. So he says to us, here's the gift. Here it is. Take it freely. It's mine to give. It's yours to receive. Bring glory to my name. So, we have much to think about. We are guilty of sin, aren't we? We're guilty of violating this commandment. But God has provided a saviour from all sin. And the work is complete. May we praise his name. And eat and drink by faith today. Amen. May God encourage us in his word. For his name's sake.
Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.